Welcome to episode two of the Sherman Report. This is just a quick disclaimer that the audio isn't quite what it should be. Um, Rob wasn't using his usual laptop and there was some crackling that I couldn't smooth out in the edit. Um, I think it's still a really good episode and there's some great chat so please do listen. But if you listen and find it irritating, it's fine to switch it off. And I promise the audio on the next episode will be up to scratch. Now please enjoy episode two of the Sherman Report. Where is the boy? Where is the boy? Where is the boy? Where oh, come is in. The... Come back. <coughs> oh. Hello. Hello. I was just walking around my kitchen and for some reason I was singing um I don't know what the actual name of it is, but the one that goes the uh, Christmas song that goes Noel, Noel. Is it just called Noel? No, it's called the first Noel. Is that how yeah. you Because know? I went you? to a, a, a Jesus school. Well, I guess so did you. But. You did. Uh, well, my school was technically Jesus, but I didn't go to school in an actual monastery like you did. Yeah. So, well, the monastery was attached to the school. Or was the school attached to the monastery? <sighs> Only God will know. <laughs> Only God will know or care. Yeah, um, sorry, I had to go and um, tell Claire off for talking in the background. And then close, I closed the door like an angry man oh no well i don't want her to suffer for our creative pursuits i do he's a bit like um zelda fitzgerald oh god she's yeah she's gonna write um, lots of lots of bitter books about me yeah bitter books and bitter letters and become an alcoholic um <laughs> well, that always reminds anyway. me of um in um in peep show when mark's got he's just about or maybe he's just about to have the kid or he's got the kid and he <laughs> he's looking at it and he's sort of going this is this is this isn't going to end well. He's it's going to grow up and write a bitter memoir about how distant I was. <laughs> With Sarah and I, Sarah and I watched the last episode of Peep Show yesterday. Um, she'd never until a year ago she'd never watched it. What? She thought oh, it doesn't look very good, and we watched the whole you know nine series of it in the last year. <clears throat> but in a way, I'm kind of glad it's over because. They're such horrific, unpleasant, poisonous people. Yep. In a sort of banal way. Um, it just depresses me every time I watch it. And there's no real redemption for any of them, is there? No. Have you watched the last episode? Yeah, yeah. I watched the last series religiously. I've just, I realise that, you know, in every series, they start off and it introduces new characters who are supposed to be sort of redemptive or, you know, there's there's usually new boyfriends and girlfriends or... Um, new people that come into their lives and then by the end of the series it's all fucked up and it's just back to them again and you know it was the same with the last series you know they just ended up it was just back to their sad parasitic lives yeah except the, the banner that says jeremy you are 40 <laughs> so good <laughs> oh, and they they brought back the character of april from the other series which is a really good move because like I said that offers that it provides that kind of offering or potential for redemption but it's you know it's never going to be seen through no and i'm glad that it ended that way without any closure whatsoever are you Literally, drinking some nothing, ale there nothing was resolved there was no um there were no great revelations or anything like that i love the speech that they made uh at, or the speech that mark made 
at his birthday party where he he's, he basically just admits to liking him and <laughs> thinking he's he's all right. He's not a bad human being. That's it. <laughs> I like that. The only expression of not loathing in nine series, pretty much. It was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and you feel like that that not loathing is a, like that is, is is what Mark would do. Like as a character, it doesn't feel out of character for him to be that awful. I think there are some moments where they're so awful, like when he barbecues the dog, and like yeah, that's that is, that's just that's a horrible thing. Episode. That is my favorite episode. Really. Mm. Who eating oh, oh, the latest one where he writes love you on his eyelids and he can't shut his eyes for the, for the past. <laughs> like he finds an excuse to turn around so he can blink and yeah. i was i was crying with laughter at that episode and the, the snake fun. in the ball pit snake in the ball pit that was a good yeah, one we should probably say like spoiler alert for people who haven't seen the last series of peep show well, yeah. Well, I, I suppose it's spoiler for the for the um, specific events, but I feel like talking about the end of the ninth series or the end of it all, it it kind of doesn't need a spoiler alert because it this, they're such archetypal characters and it's such a cyclical television series. Um, I think you could kind of predict how it was going to end. Anyway. Yeah, it's, was, it's not plot know, driven. No, it's not plot driven. It's very cyclical, and you know, it ends as it begins, pretty mm-hmm. much. Yeah, very clever. Yeah, no spoilers. I think no spoilers. I, I'm still kind of sensitive about spoilers because of The Force Awakens and everything. You know? were, were you spoiled? No, I, I wasn't. I didn't mean that I I was. I had a specific incident. I just mean that, you know, being on Twitter around the time, there were a lot of people going on no spoilers and a lot of people actually being very, very sensitive to it and who had seen the film about not tweeting spoilers. So I never, it was not spoiled for me, thankfully. Most people, I think most people respect that. I think the you would have to be very, very silly or um, willfully troll-like. Yeah, which, yeah, to be fair, a lot of people on the internet and on Twitter are, but I, I don't follow any of them, so I was fine. I sometimes, like, hate-read the timelines of people that I don't like or who I find objectionable, like, you know, Donald Trump and people like that, but I don't follow them because they're never going to follow me back. If they're willing to follow me back, I'd take it. But Donald Trump might find your... Musings on <laughs> on comics and dogs to be useful to his campaign, especially <laughs> after the Iowa primaries and yeah. um, or after the Iowa uh, yeah after the Iowa primaries and uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I could I could help him reach the the comic reading demographic maybe. You think? Yeah, you think paint him in a sort of indie light, then he might. Um... Yeah, or if there was like a Trump scene. Trump zine. Yeah, you know, he spent literally, I think, about a million dollars, I might be wrong, or maybe, no, maybe it was $400,000 on hats. Literally. Hats? Yeah, hundreds of thousands of dollars on Trump hats. Zines don't cost anything. Not various hats for his own uh, (laughs) sartorial choice. Yeah, he's got a golden cowboy hat. (laughs) He's got one of those hats with loads of fruit on it. (laughs) I've did anyone ever actually wear those, or was it always a literary device? Fruit hats? Yeah. I've only ever seen those in parodies of other things in cartoons. I've never seen them in a real thing. Like, it just makes me think of the oh. far side. Yeah, it is, it is quite... You can imagine a cow in a far side uh, in a Larson cartoon doing it. 
But I, in my mind's eye, the former uh, head of kids company, uh, Camilla Batmanuli, or however you say her name, I think I, that wasn't too bad a job of saying her name. Batmanuli, um, yeah. Is it Matt, Batman Jerry? I Not think Batman so. Jelly. Yeah. <laughs> Not Batman Jelly. Yeah, I think it's genuinely pronounced Batman Jelly. I might be wrong. It was a dean anyway. Um, but I imagine her in my mind. I know she doesn't, but in my mind's eye, she wears a fruit hat. Mm. No, she she wears a sort of big hat thing that I think if you were to sit her down with a basket of fruit, you could quite easily balance a few different types of fruit on it and they wouldn't fall off. So that amounts to basically the same thing, right? And it's quite colourful as well. So maybe that's where I'm getting the fruit yeah. idea. Can you le- lean back just a tiny bit? I think because you're, you're you're making you're making crackles. Oh, it's just it's the crappy microphone on this. So. Yeah. Laptop. Anyway, is that all right? Yeah, that's that's fine. I'll stay. I'll stay set up. That might help. Yeah. Well, okay. Or maybe you. Yeah, that that should be fine. The, yeah. On the last one, I did have to edit out just a tiny bit, couple of moments when you, you your voice would you know like stretch. You know when you're on the hangout and it's like a rah, 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 like and there were a couple <laughs> of moments where I had to leave it in because I couldn't cut like from a coherent bit. That's so some of our great. Great chat from episode one as actually was actually lost to lost to the internet connection. But oh well, this you know we we make do with what we have, and that's okay. It can be lost to the ether. Yeah, I think that increases our mystique. Definitely, definitely our internet mystique, which is almost a contradiction in terms. <laughs> internet mystique, yeah. So, so yeah, the last time was fun. I enjoyed. It was good. Mattering. People seem to be enjoying it. I think I've had some nice comments from people. Oh, that's good. Yeah, generally uh, nice things. I'm I'm willfully not really engaging with it as a podcast because I just enjoy chatting to you, and I think I think it will be better. It will be better for it if I if we just have a natter and I leave the podcasting to you. Yeah, I I think that's fine. And um, well, yeah, I'm doing the the technical side of it, putting it up on the site and everything. But that's not that's yeah. nothing too difficult. Yeah, it's just it's just about having a chat. Like I think I think I said this last time, but the, all the podcasts I listen to and enjoy the most are ones where it's just about people who people having a chat, people having a conversation, people having Indeed. a bit of a rapport. Rapport. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that like a fancy rapper? <laughs> yeah, a French a French rapper. A French rapper. Okay. So what um, oh, MC Salah uh, gets his wife to call him. MC Salah, I liked him a lot. <laughs> He's very good. He could he could speak very fast in French, <laughs> which is a skill I always wanted to learn, but I'm yet to master. Ooh. Yeah, I can't I can't say a lot of things in French, unfortunately. I might be going to a conference in uh, June, which is in France, and apparently it's mostly in French. But somebody who doesn't speak French won't struggle. Cool. Which seems <laughs> which seems like another contradiction in terms. I'm not sure how, if I don't speak French and it's in French, I'm not going to struggle. But yeah. I'm, being, uh, I, I, I'm being encouraged to go. That's some Derrida shit right there. Indeed, he would be He would be happy. Cool. Whereabouts in France is it? Uh, someplace. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> someplace. <laughs> South, north? Uh, I, I genuinely can't remember. I want to say, I think it begins with B and there's a lake. <laughs> That's all I can give you. I, I, I should look at it a bit more closely. Yeah, you should. What's the I've, conference on? I've got to apply for funding for it. So cool. I've just been I've just been on the uh, conference application train for the first time. Mm-hmm. Conferences are expensive. Yeah, 
Well, I, I used to do what well, generally I've always done one international conference a year because the university had the money to pay me for that. And then yeah. I would just do local ones or I'd travel around the UK with my own yes. money. Yes, it's, I, I have wondered about that. I think I'm going to do... There's two international ones I want to do, one in May, one in November. Um, so technically the one in November would be in my second year. Cool. And I'll probably present at that one. But it's a big, scary computer science conference. Oh, wow. I'd be going there as a, and presenting as, a, as an artist, really. I know I'm technically a computer scientist now, but I feel... Well, you're both. You're, you're bridging the gap between those two things, which is really exciting, right? It is, yeah. I, I'm, I've definitely shed uh, a lot of my anxiety and imposter syndrome about it over the last three or four months. And I don't feel now like a charlatan as much as I did. Um, and I'm sort of embracing the fact that I'm coming at this from a more, a more naive, more, um, just a different tack, I guess. Yeah. Which is good. I think so. And you know, if, if you don't have a certain level of naivety, you won't be curious about things in the same way. Mm. I think you have to know what you know, and you also have to know what you don't know. And that's, that's the difference between wisdom and knowledge. I mean, I'm definitely paraphrasing some, some glib quote from someone here, but it's the difference between wisdom and knowledge is knowledge is just knowing a lot of shit and wisdom is knowing what you don't know. Right. Yeah. And what to do with what you do. know. I think the, um, the other thing about being naive is it allows you to disregard the axioms of the of the subject. It allows you to say, okay, well, I'm not going to assume all these things which you're taught as a computer scientist are true because I don't know about them, not for any particular uh, wise reason, just because I don't know about them, so I can't apply them. Um, yeah. And I'm going to come at it from a different angle. And sometimes that ends up with you not doing anything of import, but sometimes it does end up with you genuinely seeing things in a different light and seeing how to do things in a different light and not taking for granted some things which people who are very much inculcated in the subject take for granted. But <laughs> unfortunately, you can't know which it's going to be, whether you're going to fail or whether you're going to succeed unless you try, unless you Yeah, exactly, start. unless you try and you fail and you, you fail better. Again, that's one yeah. of those glib quotes, but I know who to attribute that one to. Samuel Beckett. There we go. Who drove oh, yes. Andre the Giant to school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that anecdote. Say it, say it again for the listeners so that um, they can enjoy the anecdote. Yeah. Samuel Beckett drove Andre the Giant to school. I know. What a ridiculous... I can't believe that. I, I, I remember reading that. It Was it Box Brown's? Yeah, Box Brown did a graphic novel called Andre the Giant, which is a biography of Andre the Giant. It's one of my favourite comics. I think it came out last year. It's absolutely brilliant. His style really, really works well in depicting Andre the Giant, who is this kind of is kind of being so much bigger and stockier, but always having this, this real kind of soft and empathetic side to him. And his cartooning style really, really dealt with that really well, I think. I loved it. Yeah, he does. He did a really good. I think you got it for me for my birthday or for Christmas. I either gave it to you for your birthday or for Christmas. I think it was your birthday. I think it was my birthday. But it was um, it was very enjoyable. And he's got a new one out. I think one coming out soon. Box Brown, a Tetris 
one. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He's just a super prolific guy. I mean, he's always always churning stuff out every single day. He's got little stuff. You know, I'm I'm very jealous actually. Did he do Bellum? Yep. He did do that. I think his early his early work a web comic, right? Comic. Yeah, it was it was a webcomic. I think there were probably some like sort of collected editions, maybe. But yeah, and if you look at the beginning of that and the end of it, you can see his style totally evolving over the course of a few years working on this webcomic, which I just love seeing in, in people's work when they get to that point well, where their style is kind of established. I mean, that's not to say that you aren't always growing and always getting better, but when it really gets over that kind of hump, as it were, it's really great to see. Um. I, I really saw that in American Elf. I think that was the thing. Mm. That was when that sort of methodological way of looking at comics, that was really impressed upon me. But there was this guy who had no real formal training and he just started drawing things. And it did evolve over years and years and years. And I found that the web, when I was really into web comics, I think we talked about this last time, about this period of, sort of the late noughties, <laughs> which is so stupid to talk about, but you know, North six, East. seven, the noughties, the licks, the, 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 you know, last seven years or so. Do you not like um, the word noughties? I just think it, it, um, you know, when we talk about decades like that, it's, um, reifying them. It's turning them into things which we can then put labels on. And I think, okay, that's a thing we do. We have the sixties or seventies and, I think we all understand that some of the things which we ascribe to the 60s or make the 60s symbolize aren't, weren't actually there in real life or that you can't bound years like that and call them a thing, really, but we do anyway. Yep. I feel like noughties, I don't know, you know, it's, it's 2016. We're only talking six years ago. I think it's a, it's a weird sort of um, jumping the gun a bit, I guess. It's compartmentalizing the past before... It's really become the past. It's, mm. it's very, I, I find it very odd when yeah, people yeah, are nostalgic about five years ago. I think I think you what you you end up having this weird recursive culture where we're just constantly looking back at smaller and smaller units of time and putting them in a box and saying this was a thing that was a, I don't know. It's, yeah. No, and and with kind of social media and the growth of you know social news and sites like BuzzFeed where it's all lists of you know. 20 things you'll only understand if you grew up in Scunthorpe in the 90s or whatever, you know, it's like that kind of thing allows people to connect with that kind of thing. People people want to be nostalgic about things. Nostalgia is a really powerful emotion. Um, and a lot of going back to comics, I mean, it's one of the reasons why Chris Ware is so successful. And he has talked about this himself, about thinking, saying that comics are kind of a, a nostalgic medium for, you know, physically harking back to a time when it, you know, media was dominated by newsstands and things you could pick up on the newsstands. Um, but in terms of the way they, they work with image and text as well, it hits the same part of the brain that deals with nostalgia. I think there are some sort of neuroscientists and people who know a lot more, you actually know about that stuff, who could tell you about that. But I think there's some basic kind of woolly truth in that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, BuzzFeed to me, it's not, it's the, those listicles that you're talking about are so specific sometimes, as you say. Yeah. You know, they are sometimes like you will only understand this if you were born in 1983 in, uh, in this small valley in Wales or something like that. It's almost, it's not really a news site in a way or a, 
or a site for, for that sort of public dissemination or mass dissemination. It's almost just ways for people to express, the, the writers to express themselves. And I don't know what BuzzFeed's sort of editorial structure is like, but I imagine it's incredibly dispersed. And actually, if you are a BuzzFeed writer in London, that you, it's almost like being a blogger. I get the feeling that it, it works that way. Yeah. They seem to have to hire a lot of people and people who do work in the office full time, but they seem to allow people to develop their own voices and to have a lot of fun with it, which I think is why they're so successful. They they let people harness the creativity and the drive that makes them want to write these kind of articles. You know, people, I, I get the feeling that people who work for BuzzFeed are doing the reporting that they want to do in most cases, which is probably not necessarily something you could say for most people in journalism. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. I mean, there must be some sort of driving force beneath it. Um, Their political reporting is very good. I've been, yeah, I've been very impressed with some of the stuff that's come out, not just the, the penetration of it as well, like w the, the detail that they get down to in the, uh, the commentary is, is very good. And they obviously are seeing that as a real focus and really pushing that to be their sort of serious output and their flagship, and they want to become known as... Uh, an outlet for that sort of journalism. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they're not very well. I, I well, I don't know how well respected they are. You do hear on the the sort of mainstream news now. You quite often hear in association with a study or a, 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 an investigation, yeah, with BuzzFeed news and stuff like this. You're hearing it more and more. Yeah, um, I can't imagine any self-respecting newspaper or. Uh, news outlet of any kind, traditional news outlet, five years ago saying, oh yeah, we've hooked up with this internet site which shows you 20 pictures of cats with their anuses out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the funniest thing is when sort of traditional news outlets like that try to do the same thing, which like the Independent has tried to do a lot of those kind of things, or they have their I-100 or whatever it is, um, which does, you know, listicles and cats and GIFs and that kind of thing. And you know, it, it's fine. It works okay, but it it feels a bit, yeah, a bit stunted coming from them. It feels a bit trite and a bit stupid when you're you're reading through the Independent on Twitter, and then there's there's lots of quite serious stuff, and then there is suddenly like a thing about cats or whatever. But I don't know. It's it's fair enough that they're trying to reach people in new ways and trying to reach youth audiences and whatever in the ways that they understand. I think you know you, you've got to keep up, haven't you? Well, they have to. I mean, they they have to. They're, that's what people, I say, well, I say what people want to read, it's what the demographics that are important to them want to read. And um, did you hear this news yesterday? I think it was about The Guardian having to cut 20% of their right. workforce and resources. Oh, that's terrible. Well, it's because they have, you know, they're not owned by a rich person. They're owned by this trust. Um, the trust gave them a lot of leeway to expand online and they spent millions of pounds on their online stuff and they don't charge for any of it, which yeah. is very well and good, but you can't run a business that way. And so they've pretty much, this money was supposed to last indefinitely and they've blitzed through most of it. Yeah, it's a real tough one. I mean, they have a lot of ads on their sites, but the actually I will say, what I will say about The Guardian is that I... I, their reading either on their app or on their sites on mobile is a much better um, sort of user experience I find than most sites. Have you ever, have you been have you done much sort of reading sites on mobile recently? I don't read on the screens very much. But well, good. I try not to. 
Um, but I have done, yeah. Yeah, I've got my phone has quite a big screen and I have found myself, if I'm on a train without a newspaper, I will read things on my phone, which is certainly less strange. It feels less strange to do it now than it did a couple of years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, really used to it and I do it all the time, but the, the sort of adverts and stuff just really piss me off. Like how in the, the last year or two, it's gone, it's gone from being sort of a small, unreadable banner ad that you could ignore to like every site, I think, apart from The Guardian, having something that's popping up, going, advertising Ellie Goulding's new album or whatever it is. Just, fuck off, I just want to read this news article. Fine, have a little banner ad or whatever, but then there's one in the middle of the text that is the size of the screen. So yeah. if you want to scroll past it, it's really fiddly and you inevitably end up clicking on it by accident. And then suddenly you're at a page for some holiday in Mauritius that you're never going to be able to afford. I don't want that. Not that I want to go to Mauritius, but, you know. I'm sure it's nice. I'm sure it's very nice. Well, this is a fundamental problem of the web, though, isn't it? It's that we're used to having all this incredible infrastructure and access for, for, for free. And ads have been the way uh, to, 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 to sort of monetize that. But it's becoming harder to make money from little banner ads. You know, it's your more competition with other sites. There's the, the whole the whole uh, economy has changed online, and people complain about them. And I hate advertising. I think I, I really have quite a big problem with it on a sort of moral level and a um, a not not the concept of advertising, but the nature of advertising now. Um, and I have an ad blocker installed on my on every device I have. If I accidentally turn it off, it's sort of um, which film is it where uh, <laughs> the, the guy has these special glasses which he puts on and he can see the world as it actually is. And there's been an alien. I think it's is it They Live or a film like that where he's walking around this lovely 1950s world where everything is fine and happy. He puts these glasses on and they're sort of truth revealing glasses and they reveal that there are these enormous subliminal billboards everywhere saying like, buy, breed, uh, purchase, all these things, obey. Um, and I feel like that when I accidentally turn my ad blocker off, the, the web is uh, a horrific nightmare. But the fact is, all this stuff has to be paid for. Yep. I think really what, with a, a better model, either is to have um, uh, better ads or a better uh, way of doing ads, and there are various uh, petitions and uh, campaigns that people are signing up to saying less intrusive ads, fewer ads that try and fuck with your psychology or stuff like that. Yeah. Or the other thing is to say, well, I'll pay for the stuff you want. Pay for the, I mean, this is what The Guardian wants. They, they want more members. They want people to pay a monthly subscription. Yeah, membership drive. The is that people will moan about the ads, but they'll never give them a monthly subscription. So Yeah, exactly, which is why I, I never get to the point of actually openly complaining about it because I know that if those ads weren't there, the news site wouldn't be able to exist. But privately, every time I click on the ad by accident, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, I just want mm -hmm. to see a list of 10 jugs that look like Ed Bulls or whatever it is. <laughs> I think that could be quite a fun game coming up with fake listicle. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we should have some for the next podcast. We yeah, we should do that. Three uh, titles. Yeah. All right, we'll do that. Make make a note of that, and we'll um... fake listicles. I'm going to add that add that to the Google document now. 
I've added a few things since last time. What was I going to talk about? Oh, yeah. Because I'm worried that we'll end up repeating ourselves because we're interested in similar things and we'll want to continue. Because I don't think we've spoken since the last podcast, have we? No, we haven't, apart from brief email exchanges. Yes, I don't want to um, uh, uh, repeat ourselves. So I've just added fake listicles to the bottom. But maybe what we could do is like the features that we used to do on our old radio show on Expression FM, which is where I'll read you a bunch of listicles and you have to tell me which ones are real and which ones are fake. Yeah, that's good. It's like a feature. I think I was talking to someone about this and they said, oh, you should do features on your podcast. Um, and I was like, no, we're not going to do features. It's just going to be a, a conversational chatty thing. We want to do features, man, that'd be so staged. And now we've just decided to do a feature. I think I think we've got to do whatever we can, Paddy, to prop up this decaying relationship. If it, yeah. If it's features, you know, it's almost like a form of marriage cancelling. Yeah, yeah. The the, like the guidance says. Marriage. Yeah, the guidance says that you know fake listicles can really help to spice things up. Yeah, <laughs> in the living room. In the in the Google <laughs> Hangout room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. So what, what other uh, topics? We- what I meant to ask you last time, um, as it was January, and now it's February, so it's pretty out of date, but I think we can still do it, is did you have any New Year's resolutions? How do you feel about New Year's resolutions? Because this year, I feel like there's been more of a backlash against the whole idea of New Year's resolutions than ever before, which I think actually just comes down to the fact that I've seen more people moaning about it on Twitter. But yeah, what, are sure. your, what are your thoughts? I'm sure the moaning is merely just amplified by the uh, distribution channels. But yeah. um, I think they are a thing that people do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's quite, it, it's banal or, or, or facile to say that, you know, they're a stupid thing because people never stick to them. Of course people never stick to them. I mean, not only are they so wildly... Uh, ambitious uh, they're also incredi- usually incredibly vague yeah like I will lose some weight well yeah. how are you going to lose and they don't and they, all, they also tend to be um, too big as well you know no it's not it's not uh, what, the, the people who need to lose weight you mean <laughs> yeah exactly well it's not a um, you know you wouldn't have a resolution saying I'm going to try and um put my toothbrush back in the little mug that I keep next to the sink more so that it doesn't get all dirty on the side. You know, that's, which is really a change that you could affect and feel good about yourself. Um, yeah. yeah, there's not I, enough attention paid to small things, I think, or actually to the idea of f- creating routines and forming habits, which yes. I think are actually more important and more integral to changing your life in the way that people go. I uh, see new, a New Year's resolution as a thing that's going to change their life, actually, you need to get into the habit of it. It's like if you say your New Year's resolution is to learn French, then it's much more productive to do 10 minutes every single day than it is to sort of read a couple of chapters or spend a couple of hours on it once and then not do any for a month. And that's when your New Year's resolution falls down. I think it's about you know habit forming. And I've found that that's been really useful to me to have kind of a daily checklist of tasks, you know, things that I do every day. So yeah, I've been doing the 10 minutes of French, 10 minutes of Spanish. Um, I've... I reinstated this last year, but I meditate every day in the morning. I've been getting up earlier, you know, but I'm I'm seeing those less as things that I think are going to change my life 
and as things that I'm, I'm trying to form habits because you know and I generally just feel better and that is life-changing in and of itself but it doesn't feel like this whole thing that you can necessarily brag about like mm-hmm. I, th- I think the people who want to talk to you most about their new year's resolutions are the ones who are going to fail at them <laughs> whereas the people who actually do well at them probably don't talk about it no i i mean it's a form of it's a form of storytelling really isn't it about yourself mm-hmm. it's part of it's a way to try and create a narrative for your life you know a, a resolution is an instigating incident you know it's the yeah part of the narrative where the per, the protagonist says, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this and then cue a montage, except it isn't a montage. You can't have a montage. Yeah. So it's a, a slow thing. And I often find this when I watch films, which I find most romantic comedies, particularly where the protagonist is a man, involve, you know, there's this narrative. Um, I'm picturing graph. Matthew McConaughey. So carry on. Yeah, or um, uh, Jason Segel as well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Depending on which, you know, which era we're talking about. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the noughties. Uh, we're, talking, we're, not, we're not talking about the noughties. They can't be a thing yet. Um, we're too close. Um, but you have this narrative arc where, obviously, there's a ma- they hit rock bottom. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they grow a massive beard or they're, Wearing sweatpants a lot, or some other, some other yeah. boring. Thing. Have you seen the five-year engagement? Thinking of Jason Segel. Is that the one where he grows a massive beard? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And he yeah. starts making mead, and he's got a crossbow. Doesn't he shoot his wife or something? No, else? no. The, the his yeah his Me- his wife's his future wife's niece um, shoots yeah shoots his wife in the leg with the crossbow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was quite funny. I think that was a very good romantic comedy, actually. It wasn't bad. I, it wasn't bad. But in that, there's this, he hits rock bottom, and then there's this montage where he improves himself. And I, I can't, sometimes I finish watching those films, and I can't help thinking that, like, yeah, I could get to this level in my life where I'm, I, I'm, I feel like I've succeeded, and I'm at the climax of my story. I could um, be running a taco truck. Exactly, exactly. And, and you sort of have this self-improving uh, drive or this, it, it's inspirational. But obviously, in the film, it's a montage and actually improving yourself or changing yourself in your real life, as you say, it's incremental, it's boring. You know, you do fail. It's not all an up, upward thing. Sometimes you fail and you spend three years not doing anything and then you might get a bit better. And then by the time you're close to death you're slightly better than you were at one thing but other things you know it's much yeah. more it's much more great and um well i feel good now <laughs> this is how i feel about it it's just uh, this no, I, i'm a- joking I, I agree with you 100 percent. no but it, this is this is the point is that it doesn't make a good story to do that and really what we're doing when we're, i feel what we're doing when we make resolutions is we're making stories about ourselves so we're, we're creating an inciting incident inciting rather than exciting yeah everyone wants to have their montage everyone wants their life to be just made up of a series of montages cut to nice music and for them suddenly then to be at the battle at the end and for them to make the triumph but you know obviously the montage is only three percent of the story you know you don't see jason siegel making his tea in the morning or not sleeping at night or using his asthma inhaler or whatever but life is more made up of those things than it is of the montage but people just want the montage and i don't think that there's a climax i mean we die with 
our post unopened. We die with things still to do on the to-do list. I always think about this. I, I'm, a, I'm an inveterate user of... Um, you think about death a lot. Of to-do lists. Yeah, I do. Well, I, I think I... Well, uh, I do when I talk to you, apparently. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm an inveterate user of to-do lists. And, you know, there is... And I realized that really they were a crutch um, and that what I was doing was I was creating things to put on the to-do list to then cross off because that was an artificial feeling of dramatic yep. success. Um, and um, I sort of try and tell myself now, you're going to die with a to-do list on your fridge. Yep. You're going to have done it. And that's okay because our lives don't have this climax and then a fade to black. It just kind of, there's always things... I, my my opinion is that there will always be things that we wanted to do that we never will do. Yeah, and this comes from the fact I, I'm quite an anxious person. I suffer. I used to suffer from a lot of anxiety, and I found that I was very being so very self deprecating and self critical. And almost every day, I would, or every night as I was getting into bed, I would basically create resolutions for myself. I was like, tomorrow I will be better. Every day is a new year. These things. Yeah, every day is a new year, um, and I, I would, and then I would obviously fail because I said I'd said I was going to do these five things, and I got to the point where I was trying to spend my days watching myself, going right, okay, you have to be this perfect person throughout the day, and not you know forget to brush your teeth or um, not eat, eat a cake or whatever it is, you know, whatever the whatever the thing I was trying to change was. And I realized that, yes, I'm not suggesting that we get rid of this drive for self-improvement entirely because people do do wonderful things and change themselves in lots of small, amazing ways, um, you know, and do have perseverance. But I do think we set ourselves up. But I'm not not surprised that people are uh, railing against it. You know, we all know that they're ridiculous things to do. But I do also think, you know, it's a sort of ritual that we go through every year and it's original sort of or it's original significance is forgotten and that we do it. And we, some people need to use the excuse of a new year's resolution to actually make a change, even if it's not the thing they made a resolution about and all these different things. So. Yeah. And what, whatever comes from that is usually a positive, I think. Yeah. But I, I, I think about this whole, uh, you know, are you going to die having not done things kind of thing quite a lot? I have a lot of anxiety about that. And I think I've come to terms with the fact that I know I probably will not accomplish a lot of the things in my life that I think I will accomplish or that or that I want to accomplish because I have so many fingers and so many different pies. Um, yeah. and I think I've come to terms with that over the last couple of years since I started meditating and since I started, you know, getting into Zen a little bit and other things like that. It's about kind of you know, ac- accepting things that you can that you can change and the things that you can't change. But as you know, I'm a person who finds it very hard to not do things. Like I, mm. you know, I, I do a lot of different things. I've got my PhD. I've got my job. I've got music. I've got comics. Um, you know, I've got a bunch of things. If I think I can do something, I'm going to try and do it. And I worry mm. that I might then get to, you know, seventy or eighty and find that I, you know, half-assed five things and then wish that I focused just on one thing. But I mean, who knows how the next 50 odd years are going to pan out. But that's the thing that does kind of not worry me, but that I do think about occasionally. But, you know, we, that's a function of time and having, having enough time to do things. 
and really you've got to do what makes you happy. So, you know, I don't think you would be happy just being like a, a cartoonist um, or just being a musician. I think you derive joy from having different things in your life which all sort of interpollinate and um, all feed off each other and, you know, that's what you're happy with. Another person might derive great joy from practicing the violin and that being their only hobby. I, I feel I'm quite like you. I have I have lots of different things that I do. And sometimes I'm frustrated that I'm not really good at one of them, any one of them. But then I also realize that that doesn't matter, that actually what I have is this more unique um, combination of things which makes me who I am, and that's okay. Yeah, I, I like to think that that's how I, that's how I operate and that's how I am perceived as well that that that's what makes me who i am that you have diverse diversity of interests and projects and stuff and i think again someone i'm not remembering any of the sources or quotes of people that i'm drawing on tonight but someone said that it's it's always good to have multiple projects on the go because when you get frustrated with one you can take a break with it and go and work on the other thing so if i'm (laughs) trying to write a song and it's not coming and i'm um, you know, I'm feeling crap about it. I can put the guitar down and go and draw. Or if I'm drawing and it's going badly, I can put that down and go and play the guitar. You know. But these, and 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 it does come back to what makes you happy. And if what you're doing is making you happy, and you're not longing for something else, or if you are longing for something else that it's, you know, achievable. Um, if those aren't the case, then carry on doing what you're doing. Why, you know. These, these ought-tos and should-ofs and things aren't useful to you unless they're actually pointing to something real. And I don't think they are pointing to something real. Exactly. You, know, you, are, you are happy doing the things you're doing. So why, why are you looking for reasons to change it? That's, yeah. I think that, that must be the thought process. Exactly. And I think that the main thing that when you get to 80 years old and you look back and you say, oh, well, was I happy doing all of those things? It, as long as the answer is yes, you know, even if you didn't necessarily ever play at Wembley Stadium, you know, if you if you were happy doing all the things that you did, then then that's all that you could hope for and that's all you could have wanted out of life, right? Yeah, exactly. And who cares if you don't, you're not at the top of your field? The coming to the top of your... I, I feel like being at the top of your field or becoming... Um, famous for something or whatever it is, that, that sort of thing. Um, that takes what you're doing from being a private pleasure and making it into a public spectacle. Yeah. You know, the, the, I, I feel like some of the people at the top of the game, I'm not saying they don't enjoy those things privately that they do, but there are new pressures. There are new, new uh, goals to achieve. that may not be your goals. They may be more public goals, which are expected of you. And, um, I imagine it brings a huge amount of stress and anxiety. Mm. Um, and this is really, I think, the, the, to me, the golden rule is do it do it because it makes you happy, not to make other people happy. And that's not an easy thing to follow. I mean, I worry what people think of all the time. I worry about winning awards. I worry about uh, doing well at various different things. Of course I do. Yeah, I, I think, think everyone it, does. Yeah, and I think as long as you can recognize that there's an absurdity that a little bit and that you shouldn't worry about that then it'll hopefully keep you grounded i mean i don't know i think i think you you and i are both predisposed to um worry about these sorts of things which is part of our drive that's part of the fuel isn't it yeah definitely it helps you get things done (laughs) 
it helps you get things done. It helps you try new things. Um, yeah, because it makes you, for me, it's always the big driver, which is negative or could be perceived as a negative thing, which is, you know, I'll always wonder what would have ha what would happen if I would have happened if I did that thing, if I didn't do it. You know, I don't want to look back when I'm 80 and say, I, I wish that I hadn't done it, which is why, you know, when the offer came up to study for a PhD part time at Sussex, the only way I could manage that was to keep my day job. And I thought, great, you know, I'll combine those two things. But there was a moment where I faltered and I said, you know, that's going to be a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, it might be really difficult. It might be, you know, it might be really intense. But I knew then the one thing that, that really kind of crystallized it was I don't want to get to 80 or so my whole life thinking, what if to not do it and then look back and then say, what if I did that? What would have happened? You know? I, I, I've been struggling with the regret recently whereby I was asked to, I'll keep it deliberately vague, not because it's confidential, but just for the... You can edit it out. Because this is public. Well, just, I was, um, I was asked to contribute some writing to a video game that was in development. And I had a full-time job at the time, as well as various side projects. Um, and I was making bids for funding and various things like that. So I was fucking busy. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I actually took a week off my day job to write, to do this writing. And I basically had a breakdown. I couldn't, I felt, uh, not only had I not given myself a lot of time to do it, I was being struck by this awful perfectionism. Mm. How do I do this? And I was making this incredibly complex, um, massive plan for this writing, which really was uh, quite small in terms of word count. Um, and in the end, I had to call up the developer that I was working with and I had to say, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I'm ill. And he was very understanding and uh, said, that's fine. Um, and all this. Now, that game has since come out. It's doing incredibly well. It's winning lots of awards for the writing, which obviously all the writers of which one I would, I would have been one um, would have gained kudos. Would have, you, know, you would have been part of that award. So this is the new um, Angry Birds, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The one with the one with the story, uh, the story mode. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, every time this sort of pops up on my news feed or whatever it is, whenever I see news about this or a new a new award or more kudos, I feel really bad because instead of feeling good about my friends making something that did really well, I feel jealous and I feel regretful and mm -hmm. I think. Why couldn't I be part of that? I'm such an idiot. I should have. And there's no way I could have been. I was ill. I was unwell. And yeah. I, it, you know, it's like worrying about uh, regretting not running a marathon when your leg was broken or racing. Yeah. You know, there's, it's such a useless thing to worry about. Yeah. And, but maybe because it's, men, it's a mental problem, it was, it, you feel a bit more fuzzy about it and like you could, you could have done it if you'd really tried. Yeah. Um, it's not as binary as a broken leg. Um, and a lot of life, I think, again, com it comes back to the, the Zen thing that I've been trying to implement myself is coming to terms with the things that you you couldn't change. You know, you couldn't have helped getting the broken leg. You couldn't have helped feeling ill because you, 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 get, you get ill. That's what happens. So it's about coming to terms with that and accepting that and letting it go and saying, OK, that project or that thing didn't work out for this reason. Let's look at another thing and try and build on that. And you know, and look to the future with it. 
and you, you know chalk it up to experience which is always easier said than done and you know you're still going to be anxious about it you're still going to worry about it you're still going to have regrets but as long as you take that and use it to look forward then you will get to 80 and be able to look back and say yeah it was all right wasn't it yeah exactly and i i and i i know that that's the right thing to do um and it's just these little pangs every now and then that i should have done x y or z and i didn't um I look back and I regret it and I think, oh, things could be different. But then I have a wonderful life and I've had a great life since then and I don't really have anything to complain about. It's not like my career and my life went on the skids after that small mistake. Of course it didn't. No, your provides the problem. I also think this idea of what's quite an interesting idea is, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but this idea or this, this goal that everyone has of dying with no regrets. Yeah. Do you think, what do you think about that? Well, it comes back to what you're saying about having you're going you're going to die with a to-do list i think that's another way of saying you're going to die with regrets isn't it because you know a to-do list is a list of things to do regrets quite often come down to things that you didn't do mm. go the to-do list is your regrets isn't it so no i think regrets are always going to be at the back of your mind the thing is you know to 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 die i guess having some level of acceptance of them. It's like how they say, don't go to bed mad, you know? As long as you don't die completely thinking about it, as long as you die looking back and thinking, yeah, this was okay, that was okay, I had a good time with this, then I think it's fine. And I think we're now turning this podcast into a rules for dying. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Are you on your deathbed? (laughs) Well, we'll have a heavy week, and then next week uh, it will just be me doing uh, impressions of uh, yeah. Uh, endless uh, fart jokes. Endless fart jokes. I was I was practicing my Carl Sagan impression. <laughs> um, wonderful universe is here, and we are on this tiny blue dot. And I, I think that's quite. That's, good. that's, that's pretty. That's pretty good, man. I'm trying to think of impressions <laughs> I need that to I can do. A bit more. I need to practice it a bit more. I used to do loads of impressions. Yeah. When I, when I was in um, year nine. I went through a really big phase of pretending to be Steve Irwin, the <laughs> crocodile hunter. Yeah. And like every time in drama class, if there's any excuse, I I just want to want to play, want to play Steve Irwin, yeah. and I'd get there and, I, he's and I'd. Hard, he's not a hard impression to do, is he? Because you can just do a comedy yeah. Australian accent. Yeah. And uh, people will know what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. You just went into an Australian accent. It's so embedded. Yeah. The spirit Irwin. of Steve lives on. I was really sad when he died, actually, because around that that age, I I used to watch like. Well, when we first got cable, I think I was in year nine, and I was going through all the channels, and the first thing I found was on like Animal Planet. It was just like back to back episodes of Crocodile Hunter. Yeah. And I watched. I was obsessed with it. I don't know. I went through like a Steve Irwin phase, and I wanted to be him. And I was like, I'm going to study biology, and I'm going to become like a zoologist, animal guy. And then I had a really terrible teacher for biology. Um, and it just all completely went downhill. And don't forget your thickest picture as well. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's but yeah, I, I have no qualms with saying, fuck you, Mr. Jones. You were a terrible, terrible biology teacher. And I'm not sorry that I took off my blazer and put it on the skeleton. It was fun. <laughs> have I ever told you about my biology teachers? No. No, there's a couple of kids. Well, I had one um, biology teacher. Uh, what was his name? I can't remember. He smoked a pipe. Um, and he had long 
or sort of shoulder length mullet like grey hair and everyone called him the silver fox but there was another teacher as well um, who was very world weary and I remember him taking us once for uh, a revision lesson there was this boy at the back of the class and he was being an idiot and he was generally an idiot he said he, he just looked up really slowly from his desk the teacher and just fixed this kid with like this weighty stare and uh, just said I'm sure you will be a lovely boy once your balls have dropped. And then, <laughs> then looked back down with the weight of the world on his shoulders. We'll oh. call him Atlas. There we go. Atlas. Uh, yeah, Mr. Atlas. I, I can't remember his real name. Yeah. But I don't want to use it just in case. But I often wonder about what would have happened if I'd then, you know, had a good time at biology and that had been my favourite subject. And maybe I would then have gone on to study zoology and been an animal guy and whatever. Maybe. Maybe. But Steve Owen, you know, risked his life dealing with dangerous animals and one of them eventually killed him. So I think the path that I have chosen is a little bit more secure and a little bit more safe. Yeah, your only risk is upsetting a cartoonist at a conference and then trying to garrote you with their cardigan. (laughs) Yeah, which is possible. There's not not a lot of tensile strength in a cardigan. I don't think you're going to get, you know, a good a good tension on the uh, on, on the windpipe. No, so it's, it's more likely that someone would do a, a biting satirical cartoon about me. That makes you commit to yeah, yeah, definitely. That'd be that'd be pretty devastating, actually. I can see that happening. I, I can I can predict that happening. When you say you can predict that ca- happening, do you mean that you're going to do it? <laughs> I'm going to drive you to suicide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's so. That's our, that's our actual task for next the next podcast. Drive each other to suicide. Drive you to suicide. Okay. Just by just by doing mean things. I'm just going to send you endless listicles about the noughties. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm going to uh, send you pictures of wasps and dill. <laughs> which, On top uh, of a jellyfish. Two of your least favourite things alongside yeah. U2's Chris Martin and Rain. Yeah. Rain. Are those your five least favourite things? Uh, yeah. I guess wow. some loneliness which has got to be up there. Loneliness. Yeah. No, I'm joking. I'm not lonely at all. I can entertain myself. You can. You'd be fine. But which is your least favourite out of the five? What? So dill, jellyfish, wasps. Oh, I didn't forgot about jellyfish. Yeah. Dill, jellyfish, wasps. You two's Bono, Rain, and uh, Chris Martin of (laughs) Clock Clown. I feel like it's actually mean. To to have Bono and Chris Martin in there. I mean, well, Bono Bono avoids tax, which I think is very wrong, considering that he thinks that he's quite saintly. Um, but would you believe it? Um, on the latest Palomino Club track, I genuinely looked up the edges delay settings to try and get a similar sound for the guitar wow. that I wanted on that because it it fitted the song. And, Such wow! You know, um, I'm gradually, I think, coming to terms with the fact that as um, our good friend Rob Gordon has been asserting for a number of years. I am a U2 Coldplay kind of songwriter. That like um, a lot of the old stuff that we used to play in Paddy Johnson and the Love Explosion. Maybe I'll try and dig some of that out and put it in show notes. Um, I don't know if any of it's even still out there, but was kind of Coldplay-ish. And there was that bit in um, one of our old songs, which was called the Coldplay bit. And I'd always be like, "Don't call it the Coldplay bit." I know. And the thing is, we all well, you and I. Uh, 
railed against the Coldplay bit or that, that sort of music. But I remember those bits in your songs and when we used to practice, they'd come up and be like, oh, this is actually my favourite bit to play. Because it would all build up and it would be, you know, that you know, yeah. over and over. Well, that would be my favourite bit. And Yeah, so, well, my, my favourite bit too. So, I don't know, I, I think I actually owe a very, very small debt to Bono and Chris Martin, so I can't completely hate them. And maybe perhaps yeah. have kind of a, a dialectical relationship with them. Okay. So we'll we'll count we'll count that as a separate a separate category of complicated feelings. But then we we got wasps, dill, jellyfish, Wasp, and rain. Yeah, and rain. That's four. I can't think of anything yeah, so else. Which is your least favorite? Um, let's see. Well, I don't encounter jellyfish very often, to be fair. I mean, well, they're, they're well, easy to avoid. No, I don't mean all of them in the same context of, in general, your life. But abstractly, jellyfish in their own context, rain in their own context, which do you hate the most? Um, well, all of, all of them are things that I hate because they've been sort of sprung upon me unexpectedly or have ruined something for me. So actually, I think what I hate is the the disruption of it. So, you know, I hate jellyfish because they disrupted some great swimming in the sea for me. I hate dill because I've always in kind of encountered it in foods, not expecting it to. And then going, oh, oh love, what the fuck is that? But, dill. It's oh, literally it's my favourite. Uh, so horrible. And wasps, like wasps always ruin a nice summer's day. So and rain, you know. You you just you go out not expecting it to be raining and it's raining. Although I've gotten better at dealing with it, I think in the last year or so consciously. I think because you have always taken the piss out of me so much for being so annoyed by it, I've tried to be more philosophical about it. I just find it it's it's just absurd how much you hate it, and yet you live in England. Yeah. And I actually all four of the things that you hate, I actually really like. You like jellyfish. I love you. I think they are some of the most beautiful organisms on the planet. Why don't you go live in the fucking sea then? I love the sea. I love the sea. I'm not saying I wouldn't be a bit creeped out if I was in a sea swarming with them and they were all like rubbing up against me like mm. big jelly perverts. But dill, I love. It's literally my favourite. Um, what I've got a soft spot for mainly because everybody else hates them. Yeah, you and feel like they're the underdog. Yeah, I feel like they're the underdog. But no, also, I know that they're the overdog because they can sting uh, indiscriminately. Mm-hmm. They don't actually want to sting you. But I know that I would sting um, if somebody was, like, smacking me around and, like, going, and screaming. I'd be yeah. like, fuck off. Would you sting sting? <laughs> I, I would, um, no. See, no. I feel like maybe I, sting is worse than Bono. I mean, I, I there are a couple of police songs that I think are okay, but I've never, I've never had to steal any of his guitar sounds. So you know, I could do that. Sting. I have a horrible feeling that I would, I would be quite in awe of Sting if I actually met him, and I would, I would actually, I would actually quite like him and be all pathetic. Really, Sting. Yeah, I do. I just get that impression when I hear him speak. I think I'd be, I'd be drawn in. He'd, he'd invite me around for dinner, and it would be all, it'd be all weird, fashionable food, and then he'd. Then he'd show me some art, and then I'd be like, "Oh, actually, I, I quite want to be you, even though, <laughs> even though you're sting." <laughs> How do you get the dinner invitation in the first place, though? You're going to write him a nice letter. I'm going to send him uh, a signed photograph of myself without <laughs> without <laughs> without any other information, and 
I just imagine the invitation would turn up. See, I, I wouldn't be able to keep a straight face because I would just think of him in that sort of blue eagle thong thing from June. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to get that out of my head. His finest, his finest role, his finest moment in his whole career. Uh, and what? So what else? So dill, jellyfish, and rain. I fucking rain. love rain. I love being out in the rain. I love getting wet in the rain. I've I've come around to it, or I'm coming around to it slowly. I think. The only time I don't like rain is if I'm hiking and I'm camping at the end of the day and I'm soaked through and everything is wet yeah. and there's no way to dry off. That's you, can't the only get, you can't get dry. Yeah, exactly. You get trench foot. So, what, so I, I've named lots of things you don't like. Can you remember anything that I particularly don't like? No, because you're not a hateful person like me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I think, yeah, in that list that comes across as me being a very, very hateful person, and I'm not. It's just that those are things that you have known me to be annoyed by over the course of our, our marriage. I think, I think some of my... The, thing, the, the things that you've disliked that I've liked most have been when uh, I've got uh, running commentaries via text from you about your morning commute <laughs> or about just how much you hate humanity when you're out and about. Um, yeah. For some reason... It makes me extremely happy when I receive <laughs> receive those texts. And oh, you're that's, like, that's good. Some fuckwit has just slightly moved his foot and touched my brogue. And I, I wish I was dead. <laughs> yeah, don't don't like that. Don't like that at all. No, Nobody just, enjoys commuting. You're a very nice. You're a very nice man. A very friendly man. But it's just, I, I just love it when when the switch flips and you just turn into like Rorschach from from Watchmen. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't fuck with him on the train, would you? I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. You've got a slightly less inky face. Yeah, or maybe I should like, start wearing a like a Rorschach thing on my face when I when I get on the train. I don't think that would improve your commuting experience. No, it would I freak think a lot of people would still out. Touch you and get in your way, except you'd have a gauze bag over your head. <laughs> I think it would make it more unpleasant. Which would probably make me sweat, and I don't really like sweating. So, no, no I I love sweating. I don't like having. I realised I don't like having people behind me where I can't see them. I am, yep. and I love. That there is a word for that, a biological term. Bigixomatic is a creature or an animal that likes to keep its back to things. And I am so very much. If I go into a restaurant, literally the worst thing is sitting in a chair with my back to the room. Mm, yeah, yeah, I know. I need a lot of people who are like that, or they had to be facing the exit because they had to see who was coming and going. Yeah. Very, there's something very, very primal about that, I think. Something very atavistic about, yeah. about sitting down to eat and being in a vulnerable position and wanting to keep an eye on everything. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm essentially a rat, a <laughs> large possum. Yeah. You'd make a good possum. I would. I think I you'd be quite well. good at getting into the the sort of cranny that's underneath an American house. You know how they have that kind of bit underneath the house. They do, don't they? I think you'd be good at crawling into there and dying and then stinking out the house, which is apparently a, a big American problem. I think that's how I'd conduct my revenge. <laughs> Your on revenge the on the world. I would, I would die and cause a mild inconvenience to... Yeah. A homeowner, yeah, and I—it I, would only be, could be because I was so annoyed that I couldn't afford to buy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we should all just become possums. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, 
I think I'd, I think I'd make a good fat wood pigeon. Mm, yeah. I think you, you, can, know, you can hoot well. I can hoot. You know, Ooh. I like birds. Um, you know, I I like moving my head quickly back and forth. That's another. <laughs> that's another big, big fan. Um, what do wood pigeons eat? Uh, wood, no. <laughs> yeah, I see. I strip a birch in three seconds. No, I don't know what they eat. They um, grubs. Uh, yeah, they must eat insects from trees, and maybe they eat corn. I think as well. Not not the popular fungal meat substitute. Yeah, um, it's they, different uh, from urban pigeons, who I always see mostly seem to subsist on KFC bones and sick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah they they eat polystyrene and feces. I think. <laughs> yep. I wouldn't want to be an urban pigeon. No, I think wood pigeon have a refined palate, whereas urban pigeons yeah, probably don't. Handsome. I think they're handsome birds. They're very pretty. They've got that that lovely sort of oil slick sheen on the back of their necks, um, and yeah, there's not much more comforting than a, a, a pigeon's coo, hmm. contented coo. Yeah, Ooh. 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 it's more like an owl. Actually, I'd love right. to be an owl. Yeah, owl, owls are just majestic, aren't they? They're just fucking brilliant. They're just one. They're just the best creature. Yes, yeah. they're, they're they're like a. I don't know. I'm going to think of some nice things to say about owls and say them, say them next time. Yep. I wouldn't mind being an eagle owl. I think they've got that sort of noble brow, haven't they? They, uh, they do. They have a very noble brow. They have tufty ears. You know, their face is like a massive satellite dish that just gets yeah. stuff. No, that's, um, that's the great grey. Oh, yeah, they have those, yeah. Those um, amazing... The one that I met at Birdworld a couple of years ago was scared of clouds. <laughs> we're just being massive owl nonces now yep owl, this is the owl pervert podcast <laughs> yeah, well I was going to talk about the time that I did an owl handling experience at Birdworld but I, I guess people don't want to hear got, that you weren't supposed to be in those cages <laughs> yeah <laughs> you don't hold them like that they like it when I say for my birthday as if it was a present it wasn't I just went there on my birthday and got in the cage that's a, <laughs> I think that's a present. I think it's a present to the owls as well. Yeah. Actually, um, I would love for Birdworld to sponsor us. They'd be an amazing sponsor. I'm a, I, 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 any sponsor would be welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get free stuff. The novelty of getting free stuff would be, yeah. I mean, well, I'm still holding out on Lockheed Martin. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Free drones would be good, especially as this is episode well, two. We could call it Attack of the Drones. What I'd want is a pen, one of those pens that have liquid in the end, but it's in the shape of a cruise missile. And the liquid is actually like the two parts of a fusion reactor. Uh, and like they clink together and it makes a little explosion sound. That's what I'd like. Oh, that's so cute. Or maybe a pencil sharpener in uh, the shape of a, 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 I don't know, some sort of victim. I don't know. <laughs> some sort <laughs> of victim. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Lockheed Martin, but that's because they make weapons that kill people, so they deserve it. Yeah, so we're all victims, really. They literally profit from death. Yep, which is why we want them to sponsor our podcast because it's the death podcast. It's the death. We talk about death a lot. Well, we have done this week. We'll have to have a lighter podcast next week. Yeah, definitely. No, what? Who I would really like to sponsor us, although they, I don't know how they make money or if they even do. Is there's well, there's an app, an app called Ditty. Have you heard of this? Ditty. Yeah. This sounds like. Plonk or Dinkle or whatever it was we were looking at Dinkle. last week. 
Um, That's pe- peach. Another thing we have to come up with fake uh, app or startup names. Yeah, fake fake social media platforms. Yeah. yeah. Dinkle, Dinkle's my first one without Dinkle. any D I N K L. That sounds like um, sounds like Russell Brand made it up. Yeah, yeah, and it'd be paired with Winkle and Trinkle. Yeah, Dinkle, Winkle, Tinkle. Yeah. Um, sorry, yes. Who would you like? So, who who's Dinny or what? Uh, Ditty. Ditty. Dinny. Well, Dinny. There you go. There's your name. It's based mostly based around dinner, so you have to put up your dinner. But you go. Here's my Dinny. I've just Dinnied. Just Dinnied. <laughs> What's what's the real um, no, uh, Ditty is it's an app. It's it's really great. You just type in some text, and then you have like a bunch of different songs to choose from, or like sort of pop pop type backing tracks, and it just like animates the text for you in like an auto tune voice, and then does a little animation for about fifteen seconds. It's just and it's just really really funny and amazing. And um, Adam, our friend Adam, made one of Ed Balls, and sometimes it gets in my head because it's really catchy. But it's—I'll send it to you after this. I don't know if I can play it to you now. Ditty, Dinty. Wait, it's just all these nonsense Russell Brand words. Well, any any of Russell Brand's nonsense words could probably make. You know, a good social network. I'm gonna. Well, I'll get it up here and just play it to you down the microphone because okay. it's so. It's incredibly catchy. Those iPhones to do it. I think you have to have it on the iPhone. Yeah. But. Oh, I don't. Have that. I quite like that. And you can I, you can get it say, to say anything you like. I, oh, you can you can get it on Google Play. Okay. Um, I am. Um, I was about to spoil any chance of sponsorship and say that it sounded like a load of irritating nonsense. <laughs> well, um, it kind of is, but in a way that I like, and that's good. Might, uh, do you know what? I might actually. Uh, I'll, I might download it and make you some. Yeah, um, you should do it. You should make a bunch of them, and then we can play them on the next podcast, like in between. Use them as little little stabs or little breaks. I don't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ed balls. Ed balls. <laughs> See, oh, it's, it's catchy, it. isn't it? Does it just? Is it just a random melody? I think. I think there are set melodies. I haven't played around with it as much, but yeah, I think there are sort of vaguely set melodies. But it does one that scans with the words that you put, so it changes every time. I think, but yeah. It's, it's I'm gonna genius. I'm gonna make some tonight. I think. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna download Ditty now. So I'm just endorsing them without them being an actual sponsor in the hope that I get free stuff. But it's already a free app, so there's nothing <laughs> they could offer me. No, exactly. It's not like Charlie uh, Brooker mentioning Greg's and then they give him some sausage rolls the next day unexpectedly. You know, in the digital that, realm, it's it's difficult. Did that happen? Did they give him sausage? Yeah, rolls? they did. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got Ditty now. I've just installed it. Um, I'm going to give it a different name every time I mention it because yeah. it's I, I can't remember. I won't be able to remember. Dinty. Clinky. Monkey. Paddy McGinty's go. Yeah. I'm just going to think of some bad names. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll think of a good name and then hopefully on just the strength of the name, we can get a lot of startup capital from someone in California and then yeah. we can be big tech hotshots and 
run around in hoodies and stuff. I don't wear hoodies. <laughs> I, I, if I had enough money, if we got a load of startup money, I would buy a lot of suits. Yeah. And I would own more suits. I would just deliberately be the opposite of Mark Zuckerberg. I would get the best, like most amazing, sharp, tailored suit I could get. So that, you know, the kind of suit that when you walk into the room, everyone goes, hey, who's that guy? But not I in would, a douchebag way. I would dress as a Scottish gamekeeper every single day. <laughs> in a slightly different shade of countryside. Isn't I, that uh, mostly uh, to do with the tartan hat and a large gun? Well, it's a tweed. You wear a different coloured tweed. So I'd have a heathery tweed one day and then a muddy right. tweed. See, I'm just um, thinking of a slightly yeah, more aggressive I, version. I, I, I carry a shotgun around the office. I'm thinking of groundskeeper Willie. <laughs> That's, he is not. I don't think he's a realistic uh, representation of the art of gamekeeping. I think he may be a, a, an enormous stereotype. Yeah, pretty um, bad. What's, wait, what's the difference between gamekeeping and groundskeeping? Would game be like where you're responsible for a flock of partridge that some rich people game, have to chase? Gamekeepers manage the populations of game on an estate. A groundskeeper is a, like a gardener. Yeah. So gamekeeper's better. Uh, well, depending on your perspective. It's higher yes. up the pecking order. You get a nice cottage, usually, or you used to. Yeah. Um, though it used to poison a lot of birds of prey. So. Oh yeah, so you, you might look back as a gamekeeper when you're 80 and say, oh, I wish I hadn't poisoned all those birds. I wish I hadn't killed literally thousands of rare birds. Yeah. <laughs> that's Actually, yeah, that's, that's pretty grim. So far, I'm not going to have as a regret, but I don't know. I might I might make, do an accident one day. You never know, you could become a gamekeeper. It's never too late. Uh, well, as a, as a vegetarian, uh, I, it's unlikely... Um, Career path. What if me. it? What if it was corn game? <laughs> that would be a less noble. Um, that would essentially be a mushroom farmer. Yeah, just like hens made of mushrooms that they've animated to walk around for yeah. you. It would be me in an enormous corrugated iron shed with lots of mushrooms growing, and I'll I I do this weird sort of topiary and and turn them into animals, and I'd speak to them. Yeah, it would all be really quite weird. And then inevitably, you'd get the sort of fungus ones that you don't eat, and you'd have to kill them. So then you'd feel bad about killing the fungus mushrooms. Yeah. I would. You know, it never ends. The empathy never ends. Yeah. Either way, you're gonna you're gonna die empathizing, right? It's gonna happen. Um, and so we're back to death. And so we're back to death. Um, cool. Well then, we should probably wrap up because uh, yeah, we've been talking for nearly eighty minutes. That's the, the length of a Disney film, pretty much. Yes, <laughs> that is. Yeah, that is one way to measure that amount of time. I could have watched I, Robin Hood or The Fox and the Hound in that time. Oh shit! Oh yeah, I can really go for Robin Hood now. Oh, no, so I don't, no, I don't. That's such a good. The, that's such a good version of that story. Oh, it's the. It's the best. And even though, like, I, my dad taped it for me off the telly, so it was missing the first five minutes, it still made perfect sense. It was great. There we go. There we go. We'll have to. You'll have to watch the missing five minutes and see yep. if it shattered the world. Yeah, I don't think. <laughs> All right. Well, right. Uh, it's been great talking it's to you. Um, I'll see you when I see you. Yeah, let me know. Balls and balls, balls and balls, balls and balls.